Well, that uh, sermon bumper is supposed to have audio, so it's an easier segue into the sermon. Caleb, can you hit the lights back there? So we're not in a dungeon. Thank you. Good morning, Transit family. How's everyone doing today? We're good. Awesome, awesome. Great to see you all on this holiday weekend. We've got a lot of people having babies or traveling or running marathons, so happy to see you all. Hope you're enjoying the beautiful fall weather. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series in Nehemiah, so if you have your Bibles, turn there, tap there to Nehemiah chapter 7. If you're curious about what we're diving into today, it is Nehemiah, it's probably the biggest chunk of scripture I've ever preached, Nehemiah 7 verses 5 to 73. So get your mouth guard in, uh, buckle your seatbelts, it's going to be a long, bumpy ride. Um, just kidding, we're not going to cover all 73 verses, so d- deep breath. All right. If you were here last week, if you were to ask, where are we at in Nehemiah? Well, if you were here last week, we saw in a little bit of chapter 6 and the first part of chapter 7 is that the walls are finished. The walls surrounding Jerusalem has been finished in 52 days. The key theme of our message last week is you guard what you value, you protect what you prize. The most important thing uh, about our lives is our relationship with God. And we looked at last week about how those walls that were being built around Jerusalem weren't an end in and of themselves. The people didn't worship their walls. They worshiped God, their relationship with God. That, therefore, they built a wall and they set up guards. And uh, we made that synonymous with our relationship with God, is that we need to set up some walls and some gates to protect our relationship with God. And so that's what we saw last week, is that the city is restored. And you would think, mission accomplished, right? Like that's what the Nehemiah is, book of Nehemiah is all about, right? It's just rebuilding Jerusalem, the city. Uh, The book should end there. There's no work left. Only there's one small problem about the state of the city after the walls were complete. And uh, chapter 7, verse 4, is where we left off last week, which says this. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And so the picture we get is that, yes, the walls were rebuilt, but there wasn't anyone inside the city. Essentially, it was vacant. God's temple, God's city was restored, but the people were still outside the walls. They were distant, not close. And what we're going to see in our text today is that God didn't want his city empty. He wanted his city bursting at the seams with his people because God doesn't want you and I distant. He wants us close. He wants us close. And so again, uh, we've talked about this a lot, but it bears repeating that in the Old Covenant, the city of Jerusalem was that special place, that unique place where heaven would kiss the earth. Uh, where God and uh, the temple would dwell in the midst of his people. That's where they would go to worship and to know the living God. And so restoring the wall was for the sake of the far greater end of restoring the worship of God's people. And so in order to restore the worship, uh, the city had to actually be repopulated. You can't worship, you can't have worship without people. Amen? So God put it on Nehemiah's heart to repopulate the city. What, this is what we're going to see in chapter 7 today. It was actually God's idea to put this on Nehemiah's heart to repopulate the city of Jerusalem after the walls were complete based upon a century-old genealogy. Who here, when they read their Bibles, they, they find a genealogy in Scripture and they're like really excited? Yeah, got one, Don. Don's like, yes, we're in a genealogy today. I've been waiting for 10 years at the transit for us to have a text on genealogies. Um, so Nehemiah, in our text today, the Lord leads him to find this almost century-old list of names. And it's a genealogy from actually the first wave of Jewish exiles who returned from Babylon with Zerubbabel in 536 B.C. And so from this list that Nehemiah finds, uh, Nehemiah would be able to trace the current exiles to their ancestors, therefore confirming, one, who was a true Jew, and two, who could rightly minister to the Lord 
uh, a priest uh, who, could, who could minister to the Lord as priest, Levite, temple, servant, singer in the temple, so on and so forth. And what's fascinating about Nehemiah 7 is it's actually the same list we find in Ezra 2. We find, we find the same list there in Ezra 2. And so today, it's just stated in modern terms, Nehemiah is going Ancestry.com. He's going to Ancestry.com, and he's looking up all the resources of the current exiles that are in and around Jerusalem. And he's going to this list uh, that was compiled uh, in 536 B.C. of return exiles. And the reason he's going to this list is he's trying to figure out uh, through the providence of God is who will go into the city and where will they go. And through that ancestral tie, that's where they figure out who will go where. Okay, so the key theme of our message this morning, I hope that makes sense to you. It will make more sense as we go, uh, go along. Key theme of, of the, the, the sermon this morning is this. Our God goes to great lengths to bring his kids close to his heart and to his presence. Our God is a God who goes to great lengths to bring us home. If you have your Bibles open and you're looking at Nehemiah chapter 7, you will see a very, very long list of very hard-to-pronounce names, okay? And for the sake, yeah, exactly. And for the sake of time, and uh, for maybe some other reasons as well, I'm not going to read that list of names, all right? So you can thank me later uh, for that. And I think if we're honest, when we see 70 verses of all these names, the thought that can come across our minds, if we're honest with ourselves, is what's the point? Like, like why is this list here? Who cares about these people? I don't care. Why are these people here? I don't care about this. And the beautiful truth that we learn in Nehemiah 7 today is that these names are here because God cares immensely about each and every person named on that list in Ezra 2 in Nehemiah. Even though we don't care, God cares. And so the question that we're going to ask of our text today to frame out our sermon is what do we learn about God in Nehemiah 7 and what's happening in Nehemiah and what God put on Nehemiah's heart to do? What do we learn about our God? And three things, if you're taking notes, and then we'll read the text and dive in. Three things, three points. Keep it simple this morning. One, God knows our name. Two, God cares for our needs. And three, God longs to bring us home. All right, verses, I'm going to read verses 5 through 7, and then verse 73, and we're going to pray and dive in. Sound good, everyone tracking with me? We good? Amen. All right. Then my God, verse 5, then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first. And I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. And they came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpareth, Bigvi, Nahum, and Banah. And verse 73, skipping ahead. We're <laughs> lodge up and ahead of a lot of verses here this morning. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful that you're uh, a God who longs to bring us home. Just like that last verse we read said, all Israel lived in their towns. That for those of us that are in you, Christ Jesus, that you've sought out, that you've rescued, 
you've brought us home. We're actually living in our homes, the home that you created by your broken body and your shed blood for us. The home of, 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 of the shadow of your grace, living in the light of your grace, with eternity with you as our inheritance forevermore. Having hope in a resurrected Savior who died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and then rose to new life to cross through death and go before us to prepare a place for us where we could dwell in the presence of God forever. Our truer and better home. Lord God, our hearts long for that. Our hearts long to belong today. Our hearts long for eternity. You've placed eternity in our hearts, God. And so I pray by your spirit, you would remind us of of everything we have in you, Christ Jesus. And for those of you that haven't found you, Lord God, I pray they'd hear your knocking today, you calling out their name today to come home to receive the free gift of forgiveness and salvation that you died to give them, Lord God. And that they would say, yes, I, I, I want a place called home. This world is not my home. You have something better for me. So come, Holy Spirit. Would you have your way with our hearts, with your word today, Lord God? This is a worship gathering. Will we, will we leave here with our chins raised high, rejoicing in the fact that our names are written in the book of life? And I pray, Lord Jesus, that um, the meditation of my heart and the words of my, uh, of my mouth will be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. And pray all of this in your precious name. And all God's people said, amen. First and foremost, first point is this, God knows our name. I, uh, this week, was at a conference. I was in Denver, Colorado. Anyone here from Denver, by any chance? Anyone here been to Denver before? Yeah, okay. Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, you went to Denver. I didn't get to see the mountains, so. Uh, but Jake and I were there. We were at the Acts 29 National Conference. It was an amazing conference. Really, we're part of uh, the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, and I'm really excited to see the direction, uh, the future uh, the Lord has for Acts 29. And the first night there, uh, it was a long day of travel. It was, if you've been there, I think it's Mountain Standard Time, so it's two hours, a little bit early. And I was a little sleepy-eyed after the, uh, the evening gathering, and I'm in, getting to the elevator, and then all of a sudden I look to my right, and there's this super tall dude to my right, and I look to my right, and I'm going, oh my gosh, that's a celebrity pastor that I, like, know and, and love and, and appreciate. And I'm in an elevator, and I don't know about you, but I always really try to observe ele- elevator etiquette, right? You know, like, like, what do you do in an elevator? You just strike up a conversation, or you just say, uh, second floor, please? Like, what do you, right? So I'm there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy, the reason I look up to this guy is he's been discipling my heart for a long time through sermons or books or podcasts, and I'm just like, holy moly, like, little, little old me is sitting next to this guy, right? Shouldn't be that way. He's just a, he's just a broken vessel the Lord's using, right? But that, I gotta be honest, that was. And then out of nowhere... This guy, he looks at me, and he says my name. He says, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't a prophecy. I had a name tag on. So <laughs> I was like, he knows my name. And I was like, oh, I got a name tag on. Uh, and we had a very short conversation. He was like, dude, you look tired. You all right, man? And I was like, yeah, it's Eastern Standard Time. It's like two hours past my bedtime. And then he walked out. And I was like, oh, I got that. That was awesome. I got that. He knew my name. And so the reason I share that is this, is the impulse when, when somebody of a certain caliber or, or tier or, or status calls you by name, right? There's a joy, there's a, an excitement that wells up in you because, because when someone calls you by name that you think has no business caring about your business or knowing you, your name, you go from feeling kind of unnoticed, unrecognized, unimportant to feeling like a million bucks, Right? Shoulders back, chin up. You get to tell everyone. I get to brag on you that I got to meet someone, right? 
like, I got to meet this person. They know my name. They come in and had a conversation with them, right? There's excitement that wells up. And what I'm getting at, if I were today to tell you, if you were to get a phone a call in the middle of the service and your phone wasn't on Do Not Disturb, but it was like a, it was a, 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 a it didn't even have, it wasn't just the number, but it had like the, the name of your favorite athlete or celebrity calling you, you would run out of here, right? And answer that phone call, whoever that is for you. Maybe you're not into sports or movies. Maybe it's like Gordon Ramsay because you're into cooking or something like that. And just don't put that speaker on here. Don't put that on speaker here. But anyways, so like you'd be so excited, right? You'd be like, this, how does this person know my name? How do they have my number? And then you're not even that. Why do they want to talk to me? Why do they want to be my friend? Why do they want to enter into a relationship with me? What I'm getting at, if, if it was LeBron or, or whoever, or, or, or Ovi, or whoever it is for you, called you up and wanted to call you by name and know your name and have a relationship where you would be elated. You'd be moonwalking out of here telling everybody about it. But as Christians, the most important person, the most amazing, the most glorious, the, the, the most majestic person on the planet already has your name has already, or knows where you live, has your address, has called you by name. And when I say, so the first point, what I'm getting at is when I say God knows your name, the God who, who spoke the galaxies into existence, the God who designed all the design we see across the planet, all the order we see, that God who, with the same mouth that he spoke those into existence, he calls you by name. And that knowledge should naturally spring up within us a true gospel sense of acceptance, of belonging, of importance. Because at the end of your life, there's only one person that you need to know that you know that they know your name. And it's the living God. It's the living God. No other name, right? We sang about it this morning. No other name in which we are saved but the name of God. In Luke 10, Jesus tells 72 really joy-filled disciples. He tells them this. He says, the 72 returned with joy. Okay, let me print the context real quick. 72, these weren't the 12 apostles. These were 72 no-name apostles. And Jesus kind of slapped them on the shoulder and he said, what I've done, now you go town by town and start doing. Proclaim the gospel, the good news that the king has come to offer salvation. Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and then come report back to me. And so they they did that, and now they're having an after-action report with Jesus. And they returned with joy after Jesus slapped them on the shoulder, said, go get them, tigers. And then they came back, 72 back came, and they said, Lord, even the, there's a verse on the screen, even the demons are subject to us in your name. The source of their joy was in what God was doing, right? It was, it was in something other than, I guess, necessarily their relationship with God. It was the horizontal manifestation of the power of God coming upon individuals. They were uh, filled with joy in signs and wonders, which we believe continue today. We believe deliverance is still for today at the transit for the glory of God. It's an issue of where Jesus is seated, above disease, above the, the demonic. So clearly he's still healing. Clearly he's still setting people free from demonic oppression because he's Lord, he's resurrected, he's ascended, and he's currently reigning and ruling. So verse 18, Jesus says this, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's a, that's a, that's a good line right there. And behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, talking about demons, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you, not physical harm, but spiritual harm. And then Jesus says this, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
Jesus is saying that the source of our joy is that the very God of very God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he knows our name and our names are written in heaven. And often, we kind of, our problem is like, yeah, yeah, Nick, I get that. But we grow familiar with glory. We get a little too comfortable with those things that should, 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 should cause awe and wonder to well up in our soul. So a couple uh, nights back, my family was enjoying a beautiful sunset. This was actually a week ago. And uh, it was right around dinner time. I was hungry. I wanted some pizza. And my wife and the three kids were sitting in the driveway, and it was the most glorious like sunset I've ever seen in Northern Virginia, okay? I've seen some good ones, <laughs> but in Northern Virginia, so bar very low. Uh, <laughs> so it was this golden pink band stretching across the sky with a low rumble of 495 in the distance, you know, just like this beautiful thing. And, and my kids were blown away in awestruck wonder. My wife was blown away. And I saw, I was reflecting on this, I was like, God, I've lost my awe. I'd rather eat pizza right, and see the glow coming off the pepperonis out of the oven, then, then the, the, the awe and wonder of your creation. And I feel like for us, we, we, we've, we've grown dull. We've forgotten in prayer who we get to call upon and who calls upon us. We've forgotten the joy it is to know the living God. And so it serve us well to remind ourselves in prayer of who we get to talk to and our times before we get into the word and times before we, we're uh, going to work or on our way to work and we're fellowshipping with God because Christ made a way to give us access to the throne to just remind ourselves, I'm talking to the eternal, transcendent, all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe. And Jesus has brought me home. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to talk to that Lord. My sins were separating me. He came and actually sought me out and saved me. I don't deserve this privilege. And it serves us well to remind us today, to reflect on that. Maybe as we sing last two songs in worship, to, to remind ourselves of who we're singing to. We're not singing songs. We're singing to our Savior, our Redeemer, who has brought us home. So returning to our text, what's fascinating is that in Nehemiah 7, uh, I couldn't help but think, hey, why not just summarize the thing? Why 70 names, like 70 verses of names. Why not just say like, and a lot of people moved in to Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem. Like save the scribe some time who's like, arm is on fire, you know, Zerubbabel, the, all these names, right? And instead, the Holy Spirit said, no, you're going to write every name down. And what we see is God's heart. But these names are attached to people that matter immensely to God. And I couldn't help but think, if, say, the Lord was going to task maybe the elders to, to, hey, I want you to transcribe and retell the story of the transit church. And it would be like the, me saying, okay, cool, like I'll summarize a lot of things. I'll do like a one-page summary, cliff notes. And it would be like the Lord saying, no, I want every name named at the transit church. Because these, because transit church story is a story about each individual person that I have called by name. It's about, I'm not going to name names because, anyways, I was going to, but I'm not. But it's about you and you and you and you and you and you and what God has done and what God has walked you through and what God's going to continue to walk you through. The story of the transit church, the story of God's people is what God is doing individually in his people and collectively to bring him praise and glory to his name. So it'd be like, Nick, don't you dare footnote my family. These are people that I want you to name that I have wept with at the transit church. 
These are people at the church where I've entered into their brokenness and redeemed their brokenness. These are people that every waking moment of their lives or I'm rejoicing with them, I'm pursuing them, I'm chasing them down. Don't gloss over that. You write those names down and you continue to write those names down because every name is a redeemed vessel that I have called to myself with my blood. These people matter immensely to me. They matter. God knows our name. And the only reason we are here today is because of what the, the truth of John 10. If you are here today as a follower of Jesus, cleansed from your sins, the assurance that, that death now is just a doorway to, to entering into everlasting life with Jesus, the only reason we're here is because the good shepherd called us by name. By name. You your name out of your sins into everlasting glory. John 10, one through four says this, truly, truly, this is Jesus saying, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep, not by grouping, not by ethnicity, nationality, family. He calls them, each of them, by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. She says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Often as followers of Jesus, we know all the right answers. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world. And so yes, God's love is immensely broad. He desires that none should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. And yet we see here in John 10 that there is a laser-like specificity to yes, God loves the world, and yes, God loves you. And he's called you by name. Before the foundation of the world, he has called you by name to himself. Ephesians 1 teaches us. That's our God. That's his love for us. He knows your name. He knows your nicknames. He knows your greatest fears. He knows your greatest failures. He knows your greatest shortcomings. He hears every prayer you've cried out in doubt and depression and despair and agony. And the beauty of this is in his omniscience, he knows you more than you know you. And yet you're fully known by him and yet also fully loved like nobody else can love you. And that's what he came to do. Romans 5a says this, but God showed his love for us in full awareness of our sins and our shortcomings that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus still died for us. Fully aware that we were sinners. Dying for people that might not respond to his salvation, still praying for the people that were putting him to death on the cross. Fully known and fully loved. That's home. The one place we've all been created to belong the heart of God, the home of God. And where sin, our sin sought to separate us, he gave his son to call us back home. And let that gospel, let that good news stir up joy in your heart today. The Lord Jesus, the King of Kings, knows my name. He knows my address. He knows it all and he loves me. And he, doesn't just, he hasn't just called me once to leave me on my own. But every day, there's a subtle woo of the Spirit of Christ inside you by the Holy Spirit. Come a little closer today. Come just as you are. Every moment of temptation, every moment of weakness, every moment of anxiety, every moment of doubt, invite me in, calling you by name. Because that's what a shepherd does. He says, I'm the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep. I know my own. So if you're here today and you think, where is God? I'm praying to the ceiling. He's heard everything. And he knows what he knows. He even knows what you're thinking right now during this sermon. He knows it all, and he's inviting you. So we'll talk to you then to come to him just as you are. A God abundant in steadfast love and grace and mercy, the only hope for sinners who would be lost without him. So God knows our name. He calls us by name, and God cares for our needs. Second point, God cares for our needs. What's fascinating if, is this, is God put on Nehemiah's heart to go through this painstaking, meticulous task of starting a census based upon a long genealogy from 536 B.C. And I don't know about you, but going through a long list of names and administration and a census, all that stuff, I would rather build a wall, all right? I just got to be honest. I'd rather lay some brick and mortar, hang out with the fellas, and just, you know, whatever, get the thing done. And we see God's heart in this. He's saying, listen, I care about my people. I care about where they live, and I want them provided for. To the extent that I'm going to place this on Nehemiah's heart, I, the Lord, will place this on Nehemiah's heart, this exhaustive administrative task to meet the needs of my people. And so what we see here is that God cares about the seemingly small details of our life, of who lives where. God cares about that. Luke, don't take my word for it. Luke 12, 6 through 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Are not one of them, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you you are of more value than many sparrows. So the Lord says, I know when the sparrows rise and fall. I know how many feathers they got. I know how many small hairs you got left on that bald head, Nick. And are you not of more value? I don't just know your name. I know the smallest, most minute details of your life. I know your needs. I, I care for your needs. And I think often in our relation with God, we don't believe this. We think God's too busy. He's Lord. We think God is Lord. And we, we say, holy, holy, holy. And the beauty of the gospel is, yes, that is true. And the beauty of the gospel is, yes, he is Lord. But Psalm 23 says, that Lord is also my shepherd. He's also my shepherd. He calls me by name. I can call upon him by name. That's the most mind-blowing part of the gospel is that we get God. We get access to God. We get a relationship with God. We get his presence when we shouldn't be in his presence or invited into his presence. And the New Testament constantly screams to us, whether it's Jesus or the apostles, screaming to us about the heart of God, constantly inviting his people to come to him like the needy, messy kids that we are with, with prayer requests, both big and little. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good things, give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I love that refrain. Jesus, we just talked about the Sermon on the Mount. He, he calls his listeners evil. He's like, you guys are fallen parents. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. I don't care how many blogs or books you read. Like, but if you, as a parent, you have a heart for your kid and they ask for bread, and they ask for something seemingly small, fish, like if they ask for goldfish, okay, like modern day example, your kids ask for goldfish, you're not going to give them a stone, you're not going to give them something that's the exact opposite, a scorpion, no, you're going to, they, you're going to give them what they want, because you're, and what the Lord says here, the key line, what Jesus says here is, how much more, it's not even a one-to-one correlation, like, okay, like kids can come to you, and you'll give them little things, they'll come to you with little things, and you'll meet little provision, no, how much more will God the Father give good things, to those who ask him. That's our God. We need to take that in faith. This God cares about us. If that's not enough, I just really want to drive this point home. One more 
passage of scripture. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Look at verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Our view of God changes everything. How we view God and his posture towards us changes our praying life. And what scripture makes abundantly clear is that God is not annoyed with you. God's not, God's not like, again? This anxiety again? This thing again you're bringing to me? I thought you should, shouldn't you be over this by now? That's not the heart of God. The Holy Spirit through Apostle Peter says, all, not some, not the ones that are only warranted, the warranted anxieties come to me. No, he says, bring them all to me. Why? Why? Because I care for you. God cares for you. Some of you need to hear that today and believe that. That in faith, he actually longs to provide for you and be invited in the little things in your life. Uh, I picked up, my, picked up my kids from school. The, the rhythm is I drop them off around 8, and then I go home and I pick them up at 3.30. My oldest at 3.30. So I get like this 10-minute drive from the car line when my oldest daughter gets in the car to home. And that's one of the most special moments in the, in the day for me. Because it's very rare with three little kids that you get like a, you get that moment, right, of just you and the other child, right? And so I, I got I to, gotta, I need some help. I got to ask some better questions. But I always, always, I'm like, I'm so excited to see Kelsey. And I just said, Kelsey, I love you. I love, you know, so, how was school today? Like me, I care, I care so much about her. It's a new school. It's her first time, like, you know, big deal. And I'm sure she's, I'm sure kids are being mean. Or she maybe flunked a test. Or, or maybe she's just really excited about stuff. I, as a father, my heart is screaming, I want to connect with you. I want to be invited into you. Yes, your little first grade life, learning how to spell and count and all that stuff. I want to be invited in. And the worst response I can get, which more often than not I get, bless her little heart because I'm not asking the right questions, is she goes, good. <laughs> good. Yeah, I'm like, ah, okay, cool. And then, and then I got, okay, I'm just doing it. I have the clocks ticking in the heartbeat of the Father, the heartbeat of God to us today is cast your anxieties upon me. I'm on the edge of my seat. I want to hear about your work. I want to hear about the struggles of parenting. I want to be invited into your shortcomings and failures. I want to be invited into your anxieties. Tell me. Don't keep me out. I, I, I crushed my son so that I could draw you near to my heart, and then you think I, I don't want to have a relationship with you? I don't want to talk to you? That you can only bring to me the big anxieties, not all the anxieties? God cares for you. It, it, it grieves my heart, not in a way that's condemning to my first grader, where she's doing, I would say the same thing to my pops, uh, I don't know, uh, good, uh, you know, what, do you me, what do you want me to say? But the heartbeat, the heartbeat of a father to his little daughter with something seemingly small, first grade, whatever, is come and talk to me. Share your burdens with me. I want, I want to shepherd you. I want to hear what's on your heart. And so first application at this point, and then we're going to conclude with this last point. God longs to be invited into your life into the smallest of details in your life. What would it look like for you today to invite him into your anxieties? Fear about the future, fear about finances. What would it look like today to invite him into the struggles at home, whether it's the struggle of being single, the struggle of being married, the struggle of being a parent? What would it look like today to invite him into just a, a temptation, a, a sin struggle you just can't seem to get any uh, ground on? What would it look like today to invite him in because when he longs to be invited in, it's the very work Jesus Christ came to do was, be, was to be invited into our lives. Don't box him out. And the second thing that we see today is this, is that God cares immensely for people. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do we share the same care and concern for others? 
God had a list of names. He has a list of names. Do we have a list of names? The greatest commandment is to love God with everything you have. We talked about that last week, but that's not the end of the story. It's to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so when we think about lists that we create, if I'm honest, the list I create, it's a list of things to do. It's a list of projects, a list of things to buy, bills, homework, whatever it is, right? It's always a list of things to do, not a list of people to pray for and to love and to serve. And so I think we should be constantly stewarding our care for one another by keeping lists, right? We should have a list of people that don't know Jesus yet list. I'm praying for them. God, give me opportunities. God, would your spirit, would you chase them down, Lord God? And we, every, every morning at 10.02, based on Luke 10.2, praying the Lord send laborers out into the harvest, we pray for the lost in our lives, 10 people. And then we should also have a list of people inside the body of Christ. Jesus says, by this, the whole world will know that you're my disciples, by how you love one another. And so I'm going to give an account. Lord, who, like, love looks like something. Am I, am I coming this Sunday to encourage others? Or to be encouraged? Am I coming to comfort others or to be comfort, comforted? Am I coming to strengthen others or just to be strengthened myself? And so I think it's important for us to get into community and to also change our perspective and renew our minds with the gospel that God cares immensely about us and he's invited us to go do for others what he's done for us, to track us down, to love us, to be intentional, to care about meeting the needs of our lives. So my last point is this is we know that God, he calls us by name, he knows our name, he cares for our needs, he longs to be invited into the small details of our lives. And lastly, what we see is that God longs to bring us home. What we see in verse 73 of our text is kind of like a throwaway line, just kind of a summary line of the text. All Israel, it says, all Israel, God's people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, finally resettle in and around Jerusalem. They finally settle in and around Jerusalem. And why is that detail important? Well, it's because what we've talked about this whole series is that Jerusalem was essentially uh, God's earthly residence. It was God's earthly residence. It was where he chose to manifest his presence in the midst of his people. And so therefore, the implication that we can draw from that today is this. If Jerusalem is God's earthly residence, then God put it on Nehemiah's heart in our text we're looking at today. God put on Nehemiah's heart to get his beloved people as close to him as possible. Get him in the city. Get him around the city. I want my people as close to possible. Stated differently, God tasked Nehemiah with moving his people into his neighborhood. And so what we learn about God is that God doesn't desire distance from his people. God, in the book of Nehemiah, has moved heaven and earth. He's gone to great lengths to rebuild an entire city. Why? For this exact moment in Nehemiah 7 that we just dismissed. To bring all these exiled sons and daughters back home to his presence, to dwell with him in Jerusalem. That's the major theme of Nehemiah, is God moving, in, moving heaven and earth to bring his exiled kids back, back to his heart. And we see this heart cry of God longing to bring lost sinners home, to bring them nearer to his presence, nearer to his heart, nearer to depth of relationship with him. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says this after crying out against the sins of the Pharisees. And it kind of like, it seems like it's just a, a well of emotion erupting out of the Savior of God's heart for Jerusalem, how God didn't want things to be a certain way. 
He wanted, look, look at the heart of Jesus. Look what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Look at the heart cry. Look at the love. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Watch this. How often would I have gathered your children together? As, look, at, look, at the, look at the affection. Look at the, 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 the maternal language here. As a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. That I moved heaven and earth to bring lost sinners home. I'll conclude with this last story. Um, anyone here been four-wheeling before? Mudding? Yeah, okay. So a while back, this was like early 2000s, uh, my parents have a, a couple cabins in the Shenandoah Valley. My brother-in-law, Jeremy, uh, recently got back from deployment and got himself a new truck, new Toyota Tacoma. And uh, we just got some fresh rain, and so we're like, let's go mudding. And so this is before cell phones, which it, it Gen Zers, we used to not have cell phones. So um, this is before cell phones. And so we climb, the four of us climb into my brother-in-law's Jeep, me, uh, my sister, Kristen, my other sister, Kelly, and me. We load up an ATV and a dirt bike, and we just head west, and we go up this massive mountain in kind of gener a generic area west of Harrisonburg, Virginia, okay? And we told our parents, told our father, hey, if we're not back, I believe the timestamp we gave was if we're not back at 4 p.m., come looking for us. To get up this mountain, it's very, there's a lot of switchbacks. I mean, if your brakes fail, you can go careening over this. It's pretty, it's pretty sketchy, okay? So anyways, we make it to the mountain. We have a great time. I'm on my dirt bike. Uh, Jeremy's in his, his new Tacoma. And the girls are on the four-wheeler, and we're just, we're just crushing it, okay? It's amazing. Um, and then there comes a time where I go through this massive mud hole on my dirt bike, and I look back, and I see that uh, this precious brand-new Tacoma is stuck in the mud. And it was like um, I, the mud hole had a high ridge here of hard clay, and it had two deep, like, water, like, you don't know how deep it goes, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like where, where the tires go. And basically what happened was, it was like the entire frame, like, here, here's how deep the, the, the potholes go, and here's how deep the mud goes, and the uh, Toyota uh, Tacoma just rested right on top of it, like, securely. And so we were stuck, and this was kind of early on, it was probably early afternoon, probably like one, two o'clock, and we're stuck, and we're doing everything we can to get this thing unstuck. And so what that looks like is all of us on the back of the Toyota uh, jumping up and down while waves and waves of mud are being whipped up from the thing, and we're like my sister's hair covered in mud, I'm covered in mud, and we're like, this is disgusting, and then we're trying to get the jack out, and we put a jack underneath it, and then what happens when you put a jack securely on mud to lift a car is the jack just goes into the mud. Um, <laughs> So the jack's in the mud, and we're stuck. We're stuck. And then we're like, okay, we're kind of freaking out. There's no cell phones. It's going to get cold. I think it was the fall. And so we're like, okay, we send the two sisters on the ATV to go all the way down the mountain to go find someone with maybe like a truck who can get us out or whatever. And then uh, I think Jeremy went with them. And then I was left, they left me with my sister. And I am like just as big back then as I am now, so not that big. And Within like 30 minutes of them leaving, I hear the sound of like um, people on ATVs hooting and hollering uh, and coming our way. And, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, I don't know who these people are. I'm in the middle of the woods. This is like how every bad movie starts. Um, so I grab a big stick just in case to see what happens. And we're like, okay, people who are camping just come and they just sit there and, and, and watch us like do our thing and we're stuck. And they offer no help. They just sit there and talk about that time that Jimmy was stuck in the same mud hole and all that stuff. Anyways, so we're stuck. We're still stuck. Jeremy comes back. Nothing's happening. It's dark out. It is 10 o'clock right now. We're shivering. We're all covered in mud. And we hear this sound 
come for us up the hill, and it was blah, 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 blah. Sound like a Blackhawk chopper coming for you, right? And my dad had this old Chevy pickup, bright orange. We called it a pumpkin. Um, it was just massive, right? Tape cassette player, and blah, 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 blah. It was like 1030, and he comes up, and we're like, our father came for us. He came for us. And he, find, he somehow miraculously finds where we are. We were kind of tucked away on this mountain. He was looking for us. He came searching for us. No GPS, no phones, whatever. Shines the light. He finds us all covered in mud, and he calls us by name, right? And for the sake of the illustration, he calls us each by name and says, you don't have to stay here if you don't want. I can bring you home. Let me clean you up. Let me bring you back home. I miss you guys at the cabin. So that was the heart of, of the father was he was actually su super nervous and worried. He didn't want to freak out. But when it was six hours past the time that we told him we were going to be home, he thought we were, he came running for us. He came looking upon us. What I'm getting at is in our sin, what the gospel teaches us, the good news proclaims to you today, and I'll call up the band uh, to just play in the background. In our sin, we're stuck. We're covered in the filth and the wickedness of our sin. We've actually left the home, right? That's what scripture says is that we've left the Garden of Eden. We've turned our back on God, saying, I want nothing to do with God. And, uh, and we've gotten stuck in our sin, covered in the filth and the wickedness of our sin with no hope of getting out. But the, the glorious news of the gospel, the glorious news of the real God, the true God, the God of love, the Christ of glory, is that this God doesn't demand that you and I clean ourselves up and get out of the stuck mud hole that we're in in our sin, march down the mountain and come back home to an angry God. No, the hope of the Christian God, the real God, is a God of grace, a God of love who took it upon himself to pursue us and chase us down in our sins, that even in our sins, leaving the presence of our Father to chase after other things and being covered in the filth of our sins, stuck with no way out, is that God came running for us to bring us back home. God so longed for us to be brought home that the scriptures say that he sent his son Jesus to seek us out in the very place of our sin. The very last place you think that God would want to come find you is exactly where Jesus finds us. Stuck in our sin, covered in the filth of our sin. And this Jesus kind of pulls up, if you will, in that orange pumpkin rescue vehicle. And he gets out and he proclaims good news for everyone that wants to hear it. And they're tired of the sin. They're tired of the separation from God. And then he preaches this great gospel, repent and believe salvation is at hand. I've come to save you and to bring lost sinners home. And the way he brought lost sinners home is this Jesus decided to take on our filth, our sin, our dirtiness upon that old rugged cross to pay our debt of sin so that we could be cleansed from all of our sins, given new clothes, new garments. He cleans us up. And not only that, he cleans us up. And he brings us back home to the heart of our Father, where we get to dwell with him forever. Your redemption is for the sake of a relationship with him. And so all that to say, if you haven't heard me say anything else, this is God's heart for you today as he chases after you. And if you're here today and you do not know him, he knows your name. My encouragement to you today is that I believe he's called upon your name today. Would you call upon his today. Uh, the scriptures say this, Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone 
doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how stuck you are in your sin. It doesn't matter how long you've been stuck or how filthy you are. All that matters is will you call upon Jesus today to get you unstuck, to forgive you of your sins, and to bring you back home to the heart of God forever. This is the greatest news on the planet Earth, eternal life with God forever. No more sin, no more death, no more disease, and Jesus Christ has made that possible. So let's go to the Lord in prayer today before we take communion, and let's call upon his name. thank you for your care. We thank you that you're so unlike us. If the roles were reversed, I would have left me a long time ago, God. If the roles were reversed, I would have said, just go do your thing. If that's how it's going to be. And we thank you that you're holy, you're holy, you're holy. You're not like us. You're God of perfect love. You're God who's slow to anger. You're God who's abounding in steadfast love. It's dripping from your nail-scarred hands. And there's great news for us today who are coming here full of shame and full of uh, regret for sins and shortcomings that, that we're coming today to a God full of grace and full of mercy. A God who has found us. He called us in our sin, in our stuckness. And he embraced us. And he embraced us so closely that our filth came upon him and it left us and it went to him. It left our shoulders and went to his shoulders. It's a great exchange of the gospel. Our sins for his love. Our sins for his righteousness. His death that brought us life forever. So thank you, God. Holy Spirit, apply this truth to our hearts today. For those that are in you, but they're wrestling with doubt about your goodness and your presence and your faithfulness. God, remind them again, God. Call them by name again. Woo them deeper into your heart, Lord God. And for those today that haven't experienced your love, come upon them in power, Holy Spirit. I pray, God, you would do for them what you've done for me, God. You show them your realness, show them your love. That while we were sinners, you loved us, God. And would you call lost sinners home today? Open up our eyes to see how beautiful you are, how amazing you are, Lord God. And we thank you, God, that as we take communion, we celebrate the fact that you've gone before us to prepare a table for us. And, and we just simply have to say yes. We simply have to call upon your name and our stuckness. That's the gospel. You sought us out and you first called upon our name and we just respond to you. And you've done all of it. It's a free gift. And that's what communion represents, is salvation and forgiveness. The striving's over. The fight is over. It is finished. You cried out on the cross. And so we come before you just saying, thank you, God, it's finished. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to fight to be right with you anymore. You've made peace where there was no peace. You've brought me home when I didn't have any strength left to walk home anymore. Thank you, God. So we celebrate and we remember your love and your mercy by celebrating your, this Lord's Supper today, God. And so search us, oh God, today before we partake of this communion, God. 
of any way where we've been chasing after other lovers, where we've been leaving your presence to go play in mud pits, God, would you woo us? Would you call us to repent today? To lay aside cheap idols that we're running to when you offer an ocean of glory and love and peace and joy to us today? And would that happen today, God? So we celebrate you, we honor you, and we worship you, God. And we pray that you would receive the glory that's due your name. And all God's people said, amen.